Hi folks, Jack Spierko here with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 548. That means 550, the big uh, episode that's going to be all about you, is Friday, coming up Friday. If you want to be on that episode, the number is 866-65-THINK. Get your call in today. After today, I'm cutting it off. It's going to be a long show. A lot of you called in when I really said, hey, come on, help me out with this one. Uh, might be one you guys break into two uh, episodes, but it's going to be all about you and all about what people have done in the past year or two uh, as preppers all across the country. I think you're really going to love it. There's some amazing calls there. Love to have you be part of that. Today we're going to talk about help. I'm stuck or I can't get started. Uh, you know, remember the old show, Help, or not the old show, the old commercial, Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Well, there's a lot of people out there uh, in, in the prepping world that are either really new to this and are like, Help, I can't get started, or Help, I got started a year or two ago and I've got all these things done, but now I don't know what to do next. So we're going to kind of go through how you, how you remedy that. Because believe it or not, the solution for both people is exactly the same. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, MERS-radio.com. MERS radios are awesome. I mean, because the big thing is they let you combine security and communications into a single entity. So, for instance, I have these motion detectors in my backyard that allow me to know if someone's moving around back there because it radios the base station and says something like Alert Sector 1 or Alert Sector 2. We have them outside the front door as well. Uh, anything from somebody snooping around there at night or the dog trying to get away. From the mundane to the dangerous, we know what's going on. Something you might really want to take a look at. And then we also have a secondary means of communication with that. Um, really enjoy my MERS radios, and I think they're going to be an even bigger asset come January when we move to Arkansas and we have a larger piece of property to worry about. Next up today is the Berkey guy at Directive21.com. Uh, I say it all the time. One of the biggest things that you need to make sure that you have available to yourself always is water. Uh, you can get by without so many things. Water's not one of them. Either you have it or you don't. Either you have it and you survive, or you do not have water and you fail to survive. That That is absolutely all there is to the equation. The other thing is, if you live like I do in a municipality right now, odds are they're putting things in your water you would really prefer not to be there, such as uh, chlorine and fluoride. Uh, Berkey has methods of getting both of those substances along with other things that you do not want in your water out of your water. There's even been reports of pharmaceuticals in our water supply due to people dumping them and things like that. So uh, I really recommend you consider a water purification system for your home. The best, most affordable systems i found are the Berkey systems. They cost a little bit of money in the beginning, but the long-term ownership cost blows away everything else that I've looked at, and I've looked at them all, folks. Uh, next up today, I want to remind you real quick, BulkAmmo.com, one of our new sponsors, is doing a contest. They're giving away 500 rounds of ammo and an ammo can. That's a hell of a prize. Details are on the website. I'll put a link in today's show notes. Uh, next up, make sure you check out the Member Support Brigade, folks. Uh, that is how I fund the show. That's a primary way that I do it. 
Uh, if you join the Members Brigade, you get to put that in your signature on the forum, and that's one thing. And you get a bunch of free ebooks over $100 worth, and that's another thing. And then you get discounts to over 20 vendors, that's another thing. Uh, but the big thing is, what you're saying is, I listen to your show, and when I get off and I'm done listening to it, I think that was worth 20 cents uh, an episode. That's what it really comes down to, supporting the show at 20 cents an episode. And instead of me just taking that money as some kind of a donation, I have tried to give you a 500% or better return of investment. If you're buying stuff in the prepping industry, uh, if you're doing business with our sponsors, most of our sponsors have a program. A lot of companies that are not sponsors uh, have discounts that they offer back there. And I try to add about one new uh, good, solid vendor a month. Uh, to the program, and I've got a couple really awesome ones I'm trying to bring on right now with some new discounts for you. So, great program. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Um, you know, today I actually had a problem with the site. I won't go into what the problem was. There's a post on the website if you want to see it. But basically, the website all of a sudden looked like it did in June of 2008. And, of course, I freaked out. There was like three posts on it. The forum was gone. Everything was missing, and... It was the server people did a migration and they moved something the wrong way or something resolved the wrong way. And um, it was an easy fix, but it took them long enough to get it done. So that got me delayed in doing today's show. That's why it was put out so late today. But it also, you know, looking at the site as it did, um, you know, a few weeks after I actually launched the entire project, made me change today's show. Because yesterday I got about three different emails from people that were just like, Jack, what do I do? I don't know how to get started with this. What, what episodes do I listen to? And I had a couple more emails yesterday that were like, you know, we've done all this and we don't know where to go next. And we don't know, we have some funds put aside and we don't know whether to go here or there. We can't do both. And as I was looking at the old site and going, get this site back up, guys, I started thinking to myself, you know, there was some really good fundamental stuff that we started out with. You know, I did it, one of my very first shows, I think, was starting from zero. It was just basically, hey, if nothing else, throw some food in a bucket. You know, just just go out and buy the food you eat anyway that stores well. Fill up a few five-gallon buckets with the food you eat anyway. Go out and fill up a couple five-gallon buckets with some beans and rice. Throw some O2 absorbers in there. Throw a lid on it. Stick it in the closet. If nothing else, you've got some food put away. Then go get a few jugs of water. Put a few jugs of water away. Just get started. You know, I, I started with things like, hey, if you really want to test your... Uh, Test your survivability. You want to know how you'll handle it if the lights go out? Pick a day. You know, go outside, throw the main breaker switch on your uh, on your power. Or if you don't want to have to worry about the fact that your food's going to be destroyed and you want to take that out of the drill the first time, you know, throw all the switches except the ones that run your refrigerator. But don't eat from your refrigerator. Pretend it's not there. Don't cook with your oven. Go 48 hours that way. Test yourself. Do 24 hours. Do 12. And and a lot of other things like that. And I talked about some things I'm going to talk to you about today again, like disaster probability, disaster commonalities. And I've realized that over time, as I've answered these questions both on the air and with direct answers by email, and sometimes I get a question by email, and if I have the time, I sit down and I write out a 10-paragraph response to it. I mean, it happens. It doesn't happen often, guys, but when I can make it happen, you know, I'll pick one and go, hey, I'm just going to help this person. And I do that, I get, again, I get hundreds of emails a day. And I do that where and as I can. But, but what I've realized in all of those answers, whether they're on Facebook, whether they're on the show, to a call in, to an email, uh, or just a show that somebody asked me to do and I do, the answer's always the same. Stick with the fundamentals. And 
I know sometimes, I, you know, I really do what I can, guys. I try not to make this show like there's like 40 shows and I just keep doing them like top 40 and repeating the same show. I try to make it varied. I try to bring in new content. But sometimes I do a show and people are like, well, you did that two or three times already. Well, you know, two or three times over two and a half years is, is spaced out enough. But I always try to bring new things into it. But there are fundamentals. And this is just like, I want you to think about it this way. For those who don't know football, throw in another skill set. Bowling or shooting or bow and arrow or, you know, hopscotch or whatever. But NFL players are multimillionaires. And they are the best of the best of the best at what they do. They are the elite athletes in the sport. And no one can really say otherwise. There are people that don't qualify to play in the NFL, they don't make the cut, that are amazing, incredible athletes. And the people that do make it are a little bit better. And even those people who have been doing these things since they were little bitty kids, played Pop Warner football, for instance, or, or uh, midget football, you know, They played in, in junior high and high school and then went to college and had a complete degree paid for. That's how good they were, that a college gave them a full-ride scholarship to play football at their school. And then were so good that out of that huge group, made the final cut, were drafted into the NFL, and then got that first-year draft and actually made it and became starting players in the NFL and had careers. Those people will be out on the field one day and have a bad game. And that wide receiver that's paid $10 million a year to catch footballs, will drop two or three passes that he should have caught. Or that, that, that offensive lineman that's always picked up that, 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 that tackle and not let him get through the quarterback will let him through two or three times and get his quarterback nailed two or three times. And what do the coaches do next week with those players? Do they say, you already know what to do, just do it? Or do they sit down with them and say, we're going to go back to fundamentals? They go back to fundamentals. The wide receiver, they just send him out there and you just catch balls. That's all you do. He might have caught five million balls in his life. He just catches them over and over again. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to do the fundamentals today again because we're, whenever you get stuck, if you go back to them, they'll unstick you. And to me, the very first fundamental and something that I think I really kind of brought to the industry was disaster probability. When I came into this, this industry as, 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 a, as a person that was actually doing something in it instead of just commenting and talking to other people on chat boards and stuff like that, and I actually said, I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to make an impact. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. I'm going to do this show for people. I, I had to look at all of the reasons that people failed, got overwhelmed, fell out, things like that. And the first one I realized that was hurting people was that people would prepare for an event. Y2K, perfect example, but plenty of other things. Trust me, guys, it's coming. By the middle of 2011, there'll be all kinds of hysteria about this 2012 crap. And, and people are going to go really nuts with it. And there'll be the currency crisis. will be getting ramped up higher and higher by the people that sell gold. And there's always an event. There's always something. There's always the, this particular vaccine is the one that's going to kill us all. This is the time they're going to round us up and throw us into the camps. This is when the computers are going to crash. This is when the, the, the solar flare that's really going to be the bad one is good, or whatever it is. From, from insane ridiculous to possible and everything in between uh, to probable. These big events get trumped up, drummed up by the people in the industry whose lifeblood revolves around you buying their stuff. And, and to me, 
I understand the marketing aspect of it, but the damage that it does to a new prepper or a prepper that's kind of gotten to a, a sticking point, it bothers me. Because those aren't the real things that we really have to worry about most likely happening to us tomorrow. So as I started evaluating disaster, pro what's the most likely disaster? Let's go with probability scales first, not impact scale. We'll get to that in a second. I said, well, the number one thing that screws up people's lives that we can call a disaster, other than debt, because debt has its own way of wringing its head whether something acute occurs or not, but the, the number one thing that, like, okay, you're going along, everything's okay, and then the next day your whole life is screwed up, isn't an earthquake or a New World Order uh, stormtrooper, it's losing your job or losing a, a, a breadwinner in the family. And losing the breadwinner was the easy one. You put life insurance on, on both, both breadwinners, the spouses, so that the time can be handled and work can be taken off and everything that needs to be done can be done. And that, that you know, and that's cheap and you just do it. So that was, you know, the, the emotional side of that you could never be fully prepared for. So you put in the basics there. And, and then that's done. And then we focus on the most likely one that you're going to have to get through that you can't just go out and buy a $20 a month insurance policy for. And that's losing your job. And there's some things you can do with some insurance against disability and all that, but it's, you know, you get unemployment and all, but there's a, there's a reality. When you have a job that pays you fifty or $60,000 a year or more, or $25,000 a year or more, or whatever it is, and you go to work one day and your boss looks you square in the eye and says, Bob, Tom, Jill, Frank, Sue, whatever your name is, I hate to break the news to you, but we're downsizing and you've lost your job. Um, whatever amount of unemployment or insur you know, whatever disability or whatever you, you can get out of that um, is minor in comparison to what you had. You take a hit. You have less money to work with. And for most Americans, it is something that leads into a tailspin. And it leads into a, a, a point of dependence where you're so dependent on that government check. And I'm not putting you down for it. I've been on employment myself. But you're completely dependent upon it. It's the only thing you have. And all of a sudden, all the mistakes you've made in your life come to a head. And all of a sudden, you have to deal with them. The credit card debt, the, car, the overpriced car, whatever it is, you have to deal with it. So since this is the thing that will affect more people than anything else, it's the first thing we prepare for. And you say, well, what about things like storing food? Well, that's part of preparing for a job loss. Think about the person with a job loss. If you have three weeks, a month worth of food in the pantry, <clears throat> excuse me, that's three weeks to a month that you can spend not going to the grocery store with that big grocery bill. What about things like storing water? Storing water for a job loss, not really a great idea. But so cheap, so easy you do that one anyway. Because the water might be necessary for kind of the next, the next most probable type of disaster that you're going to have to deal with. So you go ahead and you knock that out. Saving money, having some cash on hand, diversifying your investments, all of those things fall under that umbrella. Here's the thing. The beauty of this approach is I don't have to sit down with each person and evaluate and come up with your plan for you or tell you my plan and say, do my plan my way. By leading you through this process, all you and your loved ones have to do is sit down and go, well, if mom or dad lost a job, what would be the impact and what would we do about it? And how do we set up our household so at least for 30 days we have a zero impact? Just 30 days. 
You'll be amazed at how easy it will be for you to replace that job in 30 days if the only thing you have to think about in the next 30 days is finding a job and not finding one won't really hurt that bad for 30 days. And then you extend it to 60. And I promise you, no matter how bad things are, some of you guys have been on unemployment uh, or lost a job and you've run it out and you've been looking for years and you can't find a job, without all the stress involved, If you were able to just go out there with the confidence of you need me more than I need you, most people will be able to find a job, even in this economy, in about 60 days. It may not be a job that pays what your old job paid. It may be restarting. It may be a new career path. It may mean losing unemployment and only getting $50 more a week. But if you set your life up with redundancy, you'll be able to do that, and you won't end up four years later without a job or three years later without a job, or two years later without a job. You won't be a 99er, as the term has been called. And for those that are stuck in that world, you know, I don't understand everybody's life. And I know there's people that live in certain areas and certain conditions where it doesn't always work out. You still prepare to be able to at least make it for that first 60 days. And once you get that kind of basic, you know, job loss, loss of a loved one done, and you say, well, what's the next most likely thing? And it's a regional disaster. It's a neighborhood disaster. It's the big thunderstorm that knocks the lights out and leaves you without power for a day, a week, or two weeks, or three weeks. But it's not the end of life as we know it in, in the United States of America, where our currency is worth nothing and our lights go out forever, and it's going to be like the dark ages for the next two to three years. It's the stuff that happens every day. And we build up and we prepare for that. And I won't go much deeper down this, this chronology today because I want to cover a lot of things. But you just keep going with that. So we go from neighborhood to regional to national to global. And what you'll find is by the time you've prepared yourself as best you can for a regional disaster, you're pretty damn good at being prepared for a bigger disaster, the Titoaki event, the end of the world as we know it event, And all you have to do is keep doing the same things you've done and make, go into a maintenance and building mode from there. The other side of this, though, is when I, when I brought that up, people said, but you know what, I have to be more prepared for the end of the world as we know it because that's the one that's going to hurt more. That's the one with the bigger event. Let's face it, Jack, if the sun ever does hit us with a solar flare and shuts down the grid, we're going to be a lot worse off. You will. There's no doubt about it. That's what's called low probability, high impact. That's, what, that's what, how NASA classifies being hit with a large asteroid or meteor. Probability low, impact high. But the reality is just like when you take the kid out on the football field and he says, but I don't want to be able to run and cut and beat the defender and get out there, have the ball thrown perfectly by the quarterback, get my hands laid out, stretch out, and make that catch. Well, you know what? we got to teach you to block first. You know, we got to teach you the play first, how to line up. Hell, we got to teach the quarterback to throw the daggone ball so you can catch it. We have to start somewhere. And even if you know everything you need to do, and even if you have unlimited resources to do it all, you still have to start somewhere. And you start based on the probability. And if you start there, you will cover the contingencies as best you can in time for the impact. But do not get overwhelmed. It's just a huge mistake. And it's a huge mistake to focus so much on what some guy that sells gold told you 
or what some guy on a radio that's always predicting the end of all being, and you know who I mean, right? They're going to come get you tomorrow. They're on your front door right now listening to you. To focus on that is a fool's errand. Because all it will do is overwhelm you, put fear into your heart, and prevent you from ever taking the first steps. Now how does this concept help those of you that have been listening to me for a year or two, and you've got a lot of these things done, but you're in that stuck mode that I talked about? You go back through. Start over from right now. Say, okay, we think we're prepared. What happens if I lose my job tomorrow? And go through it. And go, where's the sticking points? Where are we weakest? Shore them up. You go, okay, well, I've done that. Great. Well, now go, okay, lights go out for three weeks. Where are we at with that? And work your way right back from the very beginning. Always start back at the beginning. I don't care if you're prepared and you have a year's worth of food. I mean, you really think you've done it all. And maybe you've done most of what you can. Maybe you really are kind of in a maintenance mode now and you feel stuck only because there's not a lot left for you to do. Other than stay mentally aware, mentally prepared, and make sure you don't fall off. But odds are there's holes. You know, if you've been doing this for 10 years, there's probably holes somewhere. Well, how how does that wide receiver who's been catching the ball since he was as tall as my knee who can make amazing one-handed grabs and, and do things that are almost superhuman, who has that bad game and, and has a hole in his catch that just showed up. How does he find the hole? Does he just say, oh, I already know all that and just go on about his life and say it'll get better? No. Monday morning he's on the field catching every kind of pass he can and every scenario that he can. And whenever the ball hits the ground, it's unacceptable. If he touched his hands, he should have caught it. And when it hits the ground, without all the noise, without all the lights, without the camera flashing, without the pressure of the game, he's able to say to himself, there's the hole. I'm going to compensate for it. When he misses a step in his pattern, he goes back and runs all the patterns again, not just the one he missed the step in. Why am I missing the step? Why am I not where the ball is supposed to be? When the quarterback puts the ball in the wrong place, he does the same thing. You know? And that's just how it is. And that's how it has to be for us as, us as well. Whenever we get to that point where we're not sure what to do, we dial the knob all the way back to zero. And we go through all the scenarios again. If we do that, we'll find the hole, we'll plug it. Another thing is, start looking to minor disasters that are now nothing but annoyances as ways to learn. Uh, back last winter... My wife and I went up to the bug out location and just just for a hangout vacation type thing. I think it was January, and it got cold. Um, some of you guys in Montana or something like that might laugh at me right now, but for Arkansas, it got cold. How cold? Seven degrees. Seven degrees is cold. I don't care who you are, and I don't care if you live in a place where it gets colder. Uh, I guarantee you, you might live in, in, in South Dakota or North, North Fargo, North Dakota, one of the coldest places in the world, and it might go down to 30 below zero. But when it's seven, it's still cold. You're a human being. So we were in there, and we were happy, and we had our little fire going, and we had our heater on and, and, and things like that. We even have a backup generator up there that, that could run the central heat. But it's not like one that's permanently set up or anything. I have to go out and run the cable and plug it in and kick off some of the breaker and kick some of it back on and it's a process and if we're going to be there for days and days with it I'll go do it but 
we thought, hell, we don't know how long this is going to be out. It's dark out. It was like midnight when this happened. And um, this is an opportunity. What if we had to deal without the heat? What do we do? So we had a bunch of firewood outside. We went out and we brought a bunch in. We didn't go out and get it as we needed. We brought a huge pile of it to make it through the night in and stacked it next to the fireplace. That way the, it was still warm in the house. We would only do it one time. We wouldn't be constantly opening the door letting what heat we had out. We stoked up the fire. We pushed the couch up near the uh, near the fireplace. And because when you lay in front of a fire, one person is kind of creating a, a heat shadow against the other. My wife built a little bed on the floor and I slept up on the couch. The couch held the heat in. We slept in front of the fire for the night. We weren't ready to go to sleep, and we knew it was going to get cold. We cranked up the emergency radio. We found some kind of weird radio show about aliens and crap like that, which was kind of cool in this dark, spooky environment. We lit a few candles. We sit that we sat down. Uh, my wife got a pad and paper, and we said, "Okay, what else? If this is going to stay this way, what do we not have? And this is a well-stocked, well-prepared, ready-to-go bug-out location. What else would we need?" And she sat there and she made a list. And over the next couple weeks, we filled everything that we had on that list that we could in. And anything that was kind of a big expense, we made a plan to get it. So we took what was something, I mean, we could have, I could have went there, boom, fired up the generator, turned the TV on. I mean, we knew this was a short-term outage. And what it was is it got so cold and the electric company wasn't prepared for it uh, that they, they just blew it. They just didn't have enough power to go around. And the power came back on in the morning. Uh, it was actually out for a while in the morning. We made coffee with our, you know, our little propane stove, our little butane stove, and, and our French presses and things like that. And it was actually enjoyable and fun, even though it was cold. This is how you have to start living your life. And this is the fundamentals that you have to go through. Life will hand you opportunities like this, or you can create your own. Like I said, go camping in the backyard. Go camping in the backyard. See what happens. See what you don't have. Cook on the grill something you normally would never cook on the grill. See if what you think you can do can actually be done. Test yourself once in a while. When it comes to things like self-defense, understand something about self-defense. You're a human being, and if another human being that you don't know wants you dead, wants you dead, you're probably dead. I mean, that's just the reality. We can't walk around like superheroes all the time, prepared for anything. Even presidents with secret service around them are occasionally shot and assassinated. And sometimes secret service fails. If they can't rule out death, neither can you. That's why we start out with something simple like life insurance. It's sad, but it's true. Because somebody can walk out of the shadows and shoot you or... Cut the brake line on your... I mean, there's so many ways that if somebody really wants you dead, you're dead. So all you can do with self-defense is be as prepared as possible. And the biggest thing that I suggest as far as self-defense is that you have multiple methods of defending yourself. Have some basic knowledge of physical self-defense. You don't have to be a black belt in karate. In fact, I'll tell you what, I know some black belts in karate that, or taekwondo or some other martial art that really aren't worth a damn in a fight. When it comes to a, a fight. And I know some that are amazing. There's a limit to what that type of thing can teach you. But at least understand basic ways of defending yourself. Because at times, even using a, a weapon to defend yourself, you need that skill set to break the conflict and, and extricate yourself so that you can draw the weapon. 
Because there's been people that have been beaten to death with a gun on them, and they've never been able to get it out. Not because they were afraid to draw it, they just were ambushed or whatever, and never had a chance. So self-defense, don't overthink things. But have means of self-defense and get training to go with it. You buy that new handgun, great. Go out and take some training. And if you take training from somebody and you feel like you're still not prepared, find someone else to get some training from. And keep going to classes. I think a lot of people that own 50 guns would be better off with one gun and, and, and you know 10 training classes. You can only carry and use one or two at a time anyway. As far as ammunition for shit at the fan, store ammunition. It's easy. It's, it's, it's a commodity. It's always going to have value. It lasts for damn near ever if stored properly. So yes, store it. But don't, don't think that's your ace in the hole. Don't think it's going to fix all your problems. The reality is, if you're in a large-scale invasion scenario, two or three people aren't going to hold that off. Weapons have a purpose. They belong in your hand. They belong in your house. I believe firmly in the Second Amendment of the Constitution. I think every American that does not own a firearm should get training either from a, a recognized school or a good mentor, like an uncle or a father or somebody that knows what the hell they're doing, And then they should go out and they should buy a weapon and they should own a weapon. It'll make it harder for them to take them away from us. And they should be prepared to defend their home with them. And if every American would do that, you would see the crime rate in this nation plummet. But it still has limitations. So don't overthink it. Don't try to make that like your holy grail. Because it's just not going to happen. Um, I read posts from people that, you know, they have their ARs or their AKs and all this tactical equipment and all. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they come across as though when things go wrong, I've got all this, so I'll be okay. You can't eat bullets. Or if you eat them, you only eat them once, and then you're done, right? Without having something to defend, all of those weapons mean nothing. And for those that have this arrogance that if I have that, I can go out and take what I want, first of all, most people that say it don't really mean it. They're, they're saying it because they feel inadequate in their preps. And they're trying to make themselves feel better. But those that do, it's a great way to end up dead. It's a great way to end up dead. It's not going to work out that way. The other side of that is, how much are you going to take from people who already have nothing? The way to prepare is to make sure that you have what you need and you have more than you need. So that you, can, there's no way we can help everybody, folks. There's a lot of ants, there's a lot of grasshoppers in the world and very few ants. And there's no way that us ants can feed all the grasshoppers if a catastrophe happens. But maybe we can help a couple if we're more prepared than we need to be. Now what about taking some of the, the, the more long-term steps? Like, when is the right time to start a garden? Yesterday? I mean, yesterday's the right time to start a garden. Even if it's a couple flower pots and some greens. That's an easy one. Just do it. You, and the beauty of gardening is every step you take will come with success and failure. You'll plant some stuff and it just won't grow or something will eat it or you know it'll start to grow and it'll fall over and die and you'll figure it out. Don't get discouraged. It will lead you down a path to more self-sufficiency. What about the big step of like buying land like a bug out property or a second piece of land or for some people that first piece of land that you're going to put a home on or you're going to buy with a home. Where does that fit in the scenario? Well, it depends on your means. If you're extremely wealthy, it's it's yesterday. If you're, you know, upper middle class, it's as soon as possible. And if you're lower middle class, it's as soon as possible. Just those timelines are going to be different. I mean, the big thing that you need to understand 
If you're going to do this right, and I don't care where you are in your walk as a prepper, as a survivalist, as a homesteader, as someone in the self-sufficiency and self-reliance, I don't care where you are, you have to understand that you are not in a race with anybody else. When you look at what somebody else has done and you are impressed by it, you should use it as inspiration, but it should not make you fearful. It should not make you feel inadequate. It should not make you feel like you haven't done enough. It should simply be, okay, great. What do I like about what that person's done? How much of what they have would I like? Not envy, not covetousness, but some level of admiration, respect. Hey, look what this guy's done, or look what this lady's done, or look what this family's done. And you might look at it and go, at first you might feel like, well, I want everything they have, but if you step back and you think about your own personal life, and what you're preparing for, and what your risk tolerances are, you might go, I don't even want that much, really. But of what you know, of where I am and where they are, the place I'd like to be is somewhere this delta in between, and then break it off in tiny pieces toward getting there. Where that's the smart way to do it. But here's what really happens to most people. They look at it and go, oh my God, I'm so unprepared. And then the other side of this is a double-edged sword. You know, the person that's really, really prepared for a lot of things looks at all the people around them that only have a few weeks worth of food put away or something and goes, man, I'm really ready to go. It doesn't work either way. It's all about your life and what you want. Here's the big overriding theme. It's what I started with from day one. Helping you live the life you want if times get tough or even if they don't. You're not doing this right if you're preparing for failure only. If everything that you think about is, what do I do if, you know, going back to our fundamentals, if that is all you have, it's wrong. From losing a job to the end of the world as we know it, everything you do is revolving around that. That is a, a boundary line. Back to the football analogy. Right? That's There's the sideline. I don't want to go out of it or I'm out and the play's over. Right? And when I'm going to try to run the ball downfield, I'm going to get along that sideline and it's going to direct me and I only have to guard one side. My back and, and my right. Right? And I can use that as some level of protection. I can use it to keep me in bounds. But the real driving force needs to be much more powerful than that. The boundary line in the football field keeps the player on the field. And heading toward the end zone. But the goal is the end zone. And in your life, your end zone is what you want your life to be. See, this is where preppers and survivalists get into trouble. They put all their money into gold because they're sure the currency is going to fail. And then something happens and the currency rebounds and gold takes a hit. And it may or it may not work out. I don't know what gold's price is going to be six months from now. And neither do you, and neither does the guy on the bald-headed guy on the TV on the Fox News Network, that he doesn't know either. Period. No one knows. So, if you put all your eggs into the failure basket and society fails, you win. But if you put all your, your eggs into the failure basket and society doesn't fail, you lose and you lose hard. You get hurt. And this is why... The survival industry, the preparedness industry, it's on a peak right now. This is a good industry to be in. It's a lot better of an industry than it was in 2008 when I started. And it's a hell of a lot better than it was, let's say, about 2006 when the stock market was at like 14K and everybody thought all the bad times were behind us. And it's not quite reached the peak that it had around, you know, let's say June of 
1999 when everybody was sure Y2K was going to, you know, end everything. And this is why the industry runs these these volatile cycles that look like its own little stock market, up and down and up and down. And people put together all these products to sell to fear. That's not sustainable. Because even if the crisis comes, even if the catastrophe happens, eventually we're going to rebuild and people need something in their lives to live for, not live in fear of. So when people say, do I plan for success or failure, I say you plan for your success, regardless of whether society fails or succeeds. You put redundancy into your life for your own purposes. And then you can be evangelistic or you can be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, charitable, philanthropic, with whatever you choose to after you shore up your life. The, the biggest givers in the world generally solidify their own lives first. If you have nothing, you have nothing to give. If you have much, you have much to give. You got to get somewhere first. So everything I do and everything that I talk to you about is what do you want? Notice how much different that is than somebody telling you what you should have or what you should do. Go to this school or don't go to this school. Save this much, save 10%, save 15%, save 20%, save 7.5%. Put all your money in your 401k. It's all nonsense. Buy gold with all your surplus money. It's the only store of... It's all bullshit. Because none of us have a working crystal ball. I haven't seen one yet. I'm pretty good at ferreting out future trends. But I get it wrong sometimes. And every other person I've seen, from really good ones like Peter Schiff and Gerald Salenti, to crappy ones they roll out on the media all the time, I've seen them all get it dead wrong. I've seen deadlines set, I've seen them come, I've seen them go, and I've seen nothing happen. I've seen the people with the insider information on this day, this is going to happen. The day comes, it doesn't happen, we roll on, life stays the same, and no one freaking calls them on it. And six months later, they're saying the same bullshit, people are buying into it again. People are putting all their money in one place and betting on things always going up, and they're putting all their money into another place and betting on things always going down. And they're living their life in a mirror of what they do with their money. This is why I talk about money sometimes. Money is, if you look at the way a person handles their money, and then you look at their life, you'll find that they run the two exactly the same way. The person that's always putting their money at risk is always putting their lifestyle at risk. And they're taking risks in their life that they don't need. The person that's betting on success only lives their entire life that way. The person that's betting on failure lives their entire life that way. And in the end, in the end, society will hand you both success and failure, and both of those people will get hurt. And both of those people will never have what is really what they should have. Because what you should have, I'm going to tell you something right now, you're going to struggle with this if you've never heard it before. Listen up. You deserve what you want. That is an absolute statement. You, as a human being, deserve to have Everything that you want, you deserve it. I told you you would struggle with it. And some people struggle with it because, well, that's greedy and that's selfish. And if people had everything they want, they would take away. I didn't say you deserve it at someone else's expense. And I'm going to tell you this. In your life, 
You sell yourself on what you want and you end up getting what you want. Most people, unfortunately, undersell themselves so much. They live a life with such scarcity and such fear because they don't understand that they it's okay to want something and to actually deserve it. And people will say, well, what about the person that wants to, you know, wipe out planet Earth of all population? I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. If you're struggling with the statement, then the statement fits you. If you're like, oh, okay, I deserve what I want, then either you've been through this before, or maybe you don't. But most people do. You deserve what you want. So my show's always been geared around what do you want for yourself, in your life, in your way? What, if you lost it, would really hurt you? And what if you lost it you wouldn't care about? What risks matter to you? Not to me. Not to your neighbor. Not to the idiot on the television. What matters to you? These are the questions that lead you to the answer of how do I get unstuck or how do I get started. Having a vision for your life. And not one of these Anthony Robbins, I wake up at 6 a.m. and I don't even need an alarm clock anymore and I take a walk under golden trees. Bullshit. You know? Friends from all around the world call me all the time. If that really is your vision, I don't mean to put it down, but this kind of crap... It's not what really drives people. I'll tell you what I feel that most people want at the core, but then the way that that gets built out is like an erector set. You choose exactly how you fulfill. But underlying, this is what most people want. Freedom. First and foremost, freedom and liberty. The ability to do as they choose and not have to be accountable to someone else other than by choice. People will choose to be accountable to a wife or to a child or to a father or to a mother or to a friend. But they do not wish to really be accountable to a government or an employer. They don't want it. They want the security that comes with it and there's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with being employed by a government if that's what you want to do. But in reality, it's not what people really want. Very few people wake up in the morning and go, God, I'm so happy I get to get in my car and drive 25 miles to work and deal with a bunch of idiots that don't know how to drive. And very few people are like, boy, you know, I'm so happy that I only get two weeks a year off and I have to ask in advance at least three months before I can take that day off because somebody else might want that day. No. People want in their life is liberty and freedom. However you define it. And that might mean you work that job with all those rules but by choice because you don't have to stay there. And that might change the entire dynamic for you. But no one wants to feel, if I don't have this, I lose everything. But that's how most people live. Secondly, most people want to have meaning in their life of some sort. To feel that what they do matters to someone else. That they're leaving an impact on the world, even if it's in the heart of one child they call son or daughter. But without that, people live very hollow existences. And I don't mean you can't have, you know, be childless and have a hollow. But if with, you have to have some, that, that's one type of meaning. But they have to have a meaning, a purpose for what they're doing, an impact. A person could even live completely alone and cultivate a beautiful garden and feel that's their purpose. Or write poetry or music or something. Or talk to people on a microphone every day. 
or build something, or create something, or teach people, or something. Liberty, freedom, and purpose. And what does that have to do with survivalism? It has everything to do with survivalism. Because I could put you in a cage, but you're not going to be happy. Even if I feed you every day. Even if the cage looks like a mansion. You're not going to be happy. And if we're not going to have some kind of happiness and joy and purpose in our lives, what are we surviving for? Even if we have to go into a point where we have to fight for our survival to a point where we're, we are in restriction, we are in limitation, we are in suffering, we are in bondage, we're at war, whatever it is, however bad it gets, even if we're not going to make it through to the end, the only reason we fight that battle, the only reason we fight that hard is so that our future, so that we will hand down to someone in the future the ability to live the way we wanted to, a purpose. Liberty, freedom, purpose. People want joy, however you define it. There are people who could sit down with a book about accounting and read for hours and hours and be in complete joy. I would be bored beyond my mind. So joy is not what Hallmark tells you joy is on a TV commercial. It's whatever it is for you. You see the commonality here and the fundamental you'll always have to go back to to figure out how do I take the next step is what do you want? And then stop lying to yourself. Stop letting crap get in your way about that question being selfish because like I told you earlier, you deserve to have what you want. There is no question in my mind that you deserve what you want. In your life. If what you want involves making someone else do something, it's not what you really want. You're missing it. And that's why it's a safe thing to say to yourself. Because what you, when you answer it, you have to answer it for yourself. If you want someone somewhere else to do something else or not be there or go away, you are not answering the question. You are deferring your real problem to somebody else. You are projecting your real problem to someone else. And there's so many people in our world that do that. They see somebody else is successful and they hate them for their success. They don't even know why. They hear someone completely convicted in their beliefs and they hate them. Why? Oh, that person's full of themselves. Maybe they just believe what they say. Maybe if you believed what you said enough, focused on yourself, they wouldn't matter to you. I know it's reflection. I know it's self-examination. I know maybe when you first started listening to today's show, this is not what you expected to get from me, but it's what you're going to get from me because it's what will work for you. Internalize self-examination. And saying to yourself, if five years from now, my life is exactly the way it is today, am I going to be happy or miserable? And most people in America today, if they're honest about that, would go, I'm going to be completely freaking miserable. I might trick myself into believing I'm happy. And the reality is, if it is the same, it'll actually be worse. Because if debt's part of it, there'll be more debt. If stuck in my job is part of it, I'll be more stuck in my job. If typecast into some sort of role is part of it, I'll be more typecast. If not having enough freedom is a problem, I'm going to have less freedom. If my health is a problem, I'm going to have less health. And yet, the choice is to continue the course, to stay the course. Why do you think that was the catchphrase? Because it's what you do anyway. What most of us do anyway. 
So it makes sense. Good political spin. Stay the course. Why? Because most people stay the course in their life. If your life is headed in the direction you want it to, stay the course. If it's not, change course. Don't feel overwhelmed. Because we all start with nothing. None of us woke up one day and just went, you know what, I want to be a prepper. I want to be a survivalist. Okay, pick up the phone, made one phone call to survivalists are us. Hey, survivalists are us. Please bring me everything I need in a truck right now. Thank you. And it just showed up. None of us ever were at, were at a point where we were never like, oh man, I don't know what to do next. I feel overwhelmed. I can't afford to do this and that. I'm really worried about this, this, this one particular event happening. This seems real now. None of us have ever, you know, not had an event like a job loss. And went, How the hell am I going to feed my family now? That's why we do these things. But it just starts out with a fundamental reality. It, it, it comes down to what's most likely to happen. What do you really want, whether something bad happens or not? And then understanding you have five needs in your life. Do you know that you only have five real needs in your life? They're the five fundamentals of survival. Food, water, energy, shelter, security. If you have those five things, you can make it. And the amazing thing is if you create those five things in your life in a self-sufficient, self-sustaining way, you get to make your own decisions about your own life. If you prepare sufficiently to deal with disaster, you are so well prepared to live in a world without it that it's unbelievable. If you don't bet on failure and you don't bet on success, if you bet on yourself and say everything that I need, that I use from the world, might be here tomorrow and it might not. And I need to plan my life so that I can optimize both scenarios. Every time you ask the question, what do I do next? If you'll fall back to what is the most likely reason that I would need something and go off and take off a checklist, you will lead yourself to the next step. Sometimes you'll sit there and go, should I do A or B? Let me give you a, an out. Okay? Let me give you an out. If you really don't know, if it's really such a tight comparison, you really can't decide. That means that both of them are probably very close to equal in importance, and which one goes first is really not that important. So reach into your pocket, find a, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, or a penny, give it a flip, and do A with heads and B with tails. And guess what? You're better off doing something than nothing. You're better off taking one action versus... Now, that's not, do I liquidate or not liquidate my 401k, okay? That's, do we invest in item A or item B next? Can't make a decision? Flip a freaking coin. The next time around, get the other one. Because it's all about timing. And if you really can't determine the answer to that, I you can ask me on a call-in show and I'll give you my thoughts on it, but in the end I'm going to push it back on you because it's your life, not mine. I can say if this was me and I didn't have either one of these items, this is what I would get and why. And sometimes I go, I'm, I, that's a tough one, you know. If you could afford to get both, you need them. But in the end, you still, I mean, none of us are Bill Gates. Right? None of us are Mark Cuban. I don't know of one billionaire that listens to my show. If you're a billionaire and you listen to my show, please tell me. I'd like to know. I'd like to set you up a special contribution fund for the show. If you're a billionaire. All right? But other than that, man, 
You got to make these choices, and they will lead you past every stuck point. Whether you're just getting started today, you just today decided, I'm going to tune into this because my buddy's been on me about it and says this crazy guy actually makes a lot of sense, and this is the first show you've listened to, and you don't know what to do, and your house is in complete disarray, and you owe lots of money, and you don't have five days' worth of sustainability, you don't even have a flashlight and batteries, you have nothing. Or whether you've been on this walk for a year, or two, or three, or five, or ten. It will always come back to the same thing. Where do I want to be tomorrow? Where do I want to be the next day? How do I want my life to be? What do I want for myself? What do I want for my family? Be careful with that one, please. Understand something about what you want for your family. There's only so much you can do there. You can want the best education for your children. Your children may not be qualified to receive that education, or they may not want it, and it may not be part of their life. You may want, fill in the blank for any member of your family, whether they're your spouse or your brother or your sister or your father or your mother or your kids or your cousin. You may want something that doesn't fit for them. All you can do is if you want to help those people, provide help in the form of resources or advice. And then you have to release it. The only way you can give anything in the universe, the only way, is that when you let go of whatever it is, you completely detach yourself from it. And you detach yourself from the results. You know, if you have a family member that's hard on their luck and you decide you're going to give them money, you know, it might be the wrong decision, but if that's what you want to do, you give them that money, you never talk about it. You never ask them what they did with it, you never expect anything other than a thank you at the point that you hand it over, and you don't even get a guarantee of that. And if they blow it and they make their situation work, you've learned something, You don't hold it against them. Maybe the next time that you have to give, you give something a little bit more specific. Maybe that person is down on their luck. You write a check and pay their mortgage that month for them. So you know where it goes. But even when you do that, you let go of it. When a guy on the street needs money and you hand him five bucks and think he's probably going to buy beer with it, he might. But maybe, maybe he'll buy beer And that one $5 transaction will be what kept that one store in business and kept somebody else employed. You don't know. You can't know. So when you want something for someone else, all you can do is give what you feel called to give and you've got to release. I've had people in business relationships with me that are really great people. My, 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 uh, my partner, Neil, from Franklin Spiritual Media, one of the most giving people, rich guy, really, really wealthy. One of the most giving people I know in so much more than in a monetary way. With giving people chances and opportunities and trying to help people. And one day I had a conversation with him. I said, Neil, you're trying to breathe for people. You give somebody an opportunity and they either succeed or they fail. And you have to let the result be the result. And when you give, you have to release it. And see, this is a guy that already gave his money that way. But when it came to doing things like employing people, making people partners in businesses and things like that, he didn't relate the two. And I tell you this story because you probably have people in your family that you want things for. And it's not about giving money. It's about you know giving them an opportunity or helping them out or talking to them or trying to convince them of something. And you're thinking, why? And then you're miserable. This is how it comes back to you. You're unhappy. You're like, if I could just do this, if I could just get them to understand that, man, all you can do is let go. And if you live your life that way, very, very clear pathways will form for you. Sit down with the spouse and say, if we were going to 
if we had a million dollars right now, free and clear, no taxes due on it or whatever, we got a million seven and they took seven tenths of a million out and we got a million clear. Do whatever we want. We can move wherever we want, we can go wherever we want. What would we do? We're going to buy a new house. What would we want in it? And you'll make two very, very different lists. And then you'll start being able to, do like, like in school when you had a test where you had to draw lines between things, you start finding all those commonalities. And you start to realize you don't need a million dollars to put those commonalities together. There's probably a reason you're with that spouse in the first place. Or if you're single, your own list, what you'll find is, here's all the things I really want. And if I say, okay, now put, don't worry about which one's number one and which one's number ten, but check off the top ten. That top ten list will be what you really want. And you'll realize, I don't need a million dollars for that either. And you'll start to realize something I did when I put this whole thing together. That the path to achieving those things is the path to preparedness. Because it's about real wealth, like I talked about yesterday. How long can you survive forward in life if I take away all your systems of support? That's real wealth. And the more of that you build, the more independence and liberty and self-direction you have in your life. So when you feel stuck, instead of worrying about... Is the New World Order going to march, or is the sun going to blow up, or is an asteroid going to hit us, or is the United States going to finally be dumb enough to completely destroy its currency? Say to yourself, what do I want in my life? And work toward that goal. Every step you take towards it will create greater independence and greater insulation from the minor to the major catastrophe. And then you do have to bring some things in that. I mean, you have to have a means of self-defense. You have to store some food. You have to have to store some water. You got to do those basic fundamentals. But once you get them in place, all you have to decide is: I got 60 days. Is that enough, or do I want 90? I got 90 days. Is that enough, or do I want four months or six months? I got a year. Is that enough? Do I want to maintain this? Do I want to go forward from here? Wherever you decide to draw the line, that's your choice. You draw the line, but then maintain it. But at some point, you're going to get to that stuck point. Anna, do I do I need another you know reloading component or you know come on? At that point, be happy that you're stuck. What it means is you've done most of the things you need to do. Go back through the fundamentals. Check the sideline. Personal, neighborhood, regional, statewide, national, global disaster. Go through the checklist. What would we do if? Tick the boxes. Fill the holes. But in the end, what do I want? my life to be like tomorrow what do I want my life to feel like when I wake up in the morning what are the things in my life right now that I do not freaking want that I don't want in my life I don't want this anymore here's the thing focusing on that sucks you might as well tie yourself to it like a boat anchor if you if you that's the that's just how you locate it the minute you locate it you got to get that I don't want it in my life out of your head And you have to replace it with what you do want in your life. And you have to go for that. If you are sitting at the starting line and you're going to run a 100-yard dash and there's a finish line there, and if you look at the starting blocks and you say, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, they fire the starting pistol, I don't want to be here, everybody runs and you lose. You're still looking at the starting line. You run that race by you look down the, 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 the sideline, you see the finish line, and you go to it. That's how you prepare. Where are you going? Focus on that and work for that finish line. And realize when you get there, it's, it's, it's multi-layered. There's a new line to go to. Live in the future. Live for the future. 
That's what we're surviving for. We're surviving for tomorrow, not today. And with that, I'll wrap up today. I hope this has been a good show. I hope it's got you thinking. I hope it's got you motivated. I hope it has you saying something to yourself maybe you've not said before. I deserve what I want. And realizing how unselfish that really is. Because the real reason that's not selfish, let me close with this. It puts all the responsibility on you and it takes all the blame away from everybody else. You're responsible. If you're responsible, that means you have to accept all the responsibility. That's not being selfish. That's bettering yourself. If you better yourself, you'll help other people. There's no way that the two things can't happen together. With that, I'll, I'll wrap up completely today. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Yeah.